Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm glad I know him and I'm glad I'm known of him. Praise God. Praise God. Relationships are a two-way street. I know we have caller ID, but long before caller ID, when you really were talking to somebody or somebody that you knew was on the other end, all they had to do was say one word, one word, and you knew exactly who that was because of relationship. And we're very thankful to be in the house of God today and thankful to be here with you. I want you to join me today, if you will. If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in the book of John chapter 7 and verse 37. Always bring your Bible to the, to the church. Amen. Our media screens are just tools for people that don't own Bibles. Amen. <laughs> and uh, for, for guests, perhaps, that didn't bring their Bible, but the church, uh, bring your Bible. You might want to write something down. You might want to underline something. And uh, let's have the word of the Lord touch us. I know we have Bibles in many forms. You might have a Bible, a digital Bible, whatever you want to do. Let's bring our word of the Lord to the church. John 7 and 37, the Bible says in the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I'm thankful for the mercy that we heard taught this morning in our first service. I'm thankful for the mercy of God. Amen. In the last days, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In the book of Matthew, one of the Beatitudes of Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst, for they shall, after, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm thankful that what the Lord is presenting to us is the fact that we can find satisfaction in him. This world is looking everywhere in all manner of places, some mentionable and some unmentionable places, and they're trying to find satisfaction. But aren't you thankful today, amen, that Jesus satisfied our soul? Praise God. I want to preach to you a little bit about spiritual satisfaction, and you can be seated in the name of the Lord. These passages of scripture are just two which remind us where we can find true satisfaction. I believe today that, uh, that across this audience and to those who will, who will participate in this service online, I believe that there are those that are certainly capable of raising their hand and saying, I have sought for happiness and I sought for satisfaction in a lot of places. Some things and some events you probably wouldn't even want to mention. Some of them you probably don't even want to think about. But I'm thankful today that we're able to come into this place 
and realize that when we sing the song, it's not just words on a screen. It's not just something that has a wonderful tune. But when we say only Jesus can satisfy your soul, there's something that resonates in our heart about that. Because others can say, you know what, I tried sipping out of that cup. I tried sipping out of this cup over here, but I can tell you that what they're singing about is true. Only Jesus can truly satisfy your soul. There's a lot of people in our world today, not just in our nation, but around the world, that are, are, have given their lives. They just seem like they're, the pursuit uh, of their life is to try to find happiness and whatever... The, means whatever that may be, ever how you define happiness in the moment, only to have never really attained what they would call true happiness, or if I may say it a different way, lasting happiness, something that was is sustainable, something that's not just there for a few days, because it doesn't matter how new something is, the moment that you purchase it, the moment that you bring it home, or the moment that you put it into service, it starts declining. Nothing like that new car leather smell. But it won't be there 20 years from now. As a matter of fact, it started leaving the day you drove off because it's just not going to last. It can't be there forever and so it is with every other aspect of our lives when it comes to natural things. Perhaps some of that sort of hinges upon exactly how we define that word happiness. Maybe the things that we thought would make us happy are really not the things that are gonna make us happy at all. We have pursued some things, and I don't mean that in an ill way or an evil way, but we thought if we could just have this or if we could just have that, that would satisfy, that would fix, only to find out that even in its best advertisement, even in its best marketing, and even in its best design, it leaves something lacking. Along with all the problem of, of uh, pervasive, uh, pervasive happiness in our culture, I believe that there is another very sinister problem that rises to the surface, and that is the fact that many people, when they figure they can't find total happiness or true happiness, have just learned how to settle for less. We'll just get here somewhere in a medium. We'll get here somewhere in the middle, and we'll just put our tent stakes down right here and uh, we'll just settle for mediocrity, status quo, somewhere in this middle. In so many areas of our life and in our world, and I mean that in a, in a tangible way right now, there is no longer a desire for excellence or so it seems. It seems that people, that, that many people don't take pride in the, in the end result or what they're working on. That has been a problem, at least in our culture for many years. We purchase products every day with uh, even almost now we're trained and schooled that there's little expectation that this is gonna last very long and I'm just gonna get out of it what I can. I can talk to you about many areas, but certainly I think a lot of people can relate to, especially men can relate to areas of tools. Years ago when you bought a tool, a hand tool, a tool was made to the degree that it wouldn't just last your lifetime, but you could pass that down to another generation and chances are they could pass that down to yet another generation. 
but we don't purchase things with that kind of confidence today that this is going to last. As a matter of fact, if you're trying it, if you are pressing it, if you're pushing or pulling too hard in the back of your mind, you're worried about the quality that has gone into it because somewhere along the line, we have just decided to settle for something somewhere in the middle. We settle in the same regard. If we're not careful, we'll settle for things less than what God has expected us or wants us to have. And again, it seems like Brother Rayleigh and I may have talked a little bit this morning before service, but that's not the case. God wants to give us the best. He has so much more in store for us. And it is not enough. I'm not trying to re-say or re-preach, certainly, but I don't mind repeating some of the things that were said today. It is not enough to possess some things, but we must occupy those things. What a powerful point that was made this morning. We can't just possess it because if we don't occupy it, it will not truly be ours. And so I believe that sometimes in the course of a given service, God can take us in a spiritual crescendo to a place where we can where we can see some things that God wants us to have. And we may even in part possess those things. But the Bible and the scripture and the challenge before us today is not to just see something that God wants to give us, but let's go get that and let's occupy that. Let's move in and make our lives there. We're privileged. I believe we are certainly privileged to live in a country where we enjoy religious freedom. But that very freedom sometimes can talk can cause us to take things for granted. Too often these things which should be held precious, these things that should be valuable commodities in our life because we have such free access to it, they somehow are taken for granted and they lose their value. It can cause that that can cause many people to take their commitment to God too lightly. That we we can just pray if we want to pray. We can worship if we want to worship. We can connect if we want to connect. But that's not the truth at all. Amen. We don't need to live in an hour where we do have these freedoms and allow those freedoms to cause us to disengage from what the Spirit of God is wanting us to do. I know that we have our mission services from time to time or even may refer to some of our missionaries whose congregations in third world countries, many of them walk for miles and some of them for days to attend conferences and those things are not shared to try to make us feel guilty because we have a car in the garage or because we didn't walk to church today. It's not made to make us, or said to make us feel guilty, but I do believe it ought to serve as a prism through which we should look at how blessed we are. And just because we were blessed and honored to be able to come into the house of God without restriction, without threat of life. No one, no one, there was not a sniper across the road shooting at us, keeping us out of the house of God today. That should not cause us to come in here and say, well, Lord, I hope this doesn't last too long. Hope they don't sing too many songs. Hope the preacher doesn't take too much time. I wanna say, Lord, you're in this place and I wanna take every advantage of every moment that I am here. I want to leave this place with a spirit satisfaction. I want to know that something in my life has happened. Too often things that are precious have lost their value. 
It's not uncommon, sadly. It's not uncommon in pawn shops or estate sales for people who have just merely inherited something that they didn't work for, inherited something that they didn't have to save for, inherited something that they didn't have to dig out for them to just put it up on the table and mark it down to near nothing. And it may have tremendous, tremendous value. It may have tremendous value, but you see, they just kept going to grandma's house and they always saw that trinket on the table and they never realized there's a story behind that. They never realized the value of what it took and never understood the, the work of what it takes together, what it takes to save and what it takes to purchase all of those things. Therefore, they just set it on the table and they, to the highest bidder, to whoever would like it. Let's just get this out of the way. Let's clean up this trash. Let's clean up this clutter. But can I tell you today, amen, the power of God that's in this house is not clutter. The spirit of the Lord that is in this place today, it's not an inconvenience. I'm not here against my will. I hope you're not here against your will. I say, Lord, I don't want to take this service for granted. I don't want to take this moment for granted. I don't want to take this message for granted. I want to get everything that I can I want to be committed wholly. <laughs> An atmosphere where things come freely can foster a relationship that, that sort of makes us feel like we can serve God at our convenience. We will do this on our time. Amen. Amen. Of course, that leads to a feeling of emptiness in our heart. Thus, the pursuit of things begin. And we're trying to fill that void in our life with all the wrong things. Possibly we need to consider that our search for happiness has been somewhat misguided. Amen. I believe that we're probably all guilty to some degree, men and women, young and old alike, of seeing something advertised and just thinking, now I've got to have one of those. 90 seconds ago, you didn't even know it, was, it existed. And so in the old days, in the old days, you said something like, now, Monday, I'm going to get up and go to the store, and I'm going to buy me one of those. I'm going to find me one of those. Now we just pick up our phone and see if by chance Amazon Prime has it. And if it's on Sunday, we rejoice in the fact that come Wednesday... It's going to be mine. It's going to be mine. And so our search for happiness can be misguided. And uh, I've been very, very thrilled that, that FedEx or UPS or the U.S. mail truck dropped something off only to realize that it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. It wasn't what it was advertised to be. And it sometimes can just mean that if we turn this to a spiritual thing, that sometimes we're just simply seeking after the wrong thing. We're just shopping on the wrong shelf. For the most part, the reason why things that we have sought have not made us happy is because things alone don't possess the power to make us happy. It's not going to be able to fill that void. So where is happiness, someone wrote. It's not in unbelief because Voltaire was an infidel of the most pronounced type but yet he wrote at the end of his life, I wish I had never been born. And so happiness is not going to be found in unbelief. It won't be found in pleasure because Lord Byron lived a life of, of 
of greater pleasure than almost anyone. And then he wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. That's what he had to say about the end of it all. It's not in money. Jay Gould, an American millionaire, had plenty of that. But on his deathbed, he was he was said to say, he was heard to say, I suppose that I am the most miserable man on earth. As a matter of fact, it has often been quoted a line similar to that of Elvis Presley. If I have it all, if I have access to it all, if everything I can get in this world can come to me at the snap of my fingers, Elvis Presley was quoted as asking this question, then why am I the most miserable man on earth? I believe I can answer that question today and I say this respectfully, but I believe I can answer that question today, Elvis Presley, is because the God that you were singing about in some of your rehearsal sessions was not just a God to sing about, but it was a God to worship, a God to embrace. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It is not, happiness is not going to be found in position. It won't be found in fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both, and yet he wrote this, youth is a mistake, manhood was a struggle, and old age is a regret. I'm gonna tell you that it's not going to be found here on this earth. It's not in military glory because Alexander the Great conquered the known world of his day and having done so, he wept in his tent because he said there are no more worlds to conquer. He thought I have done it all. I have checked every box and yet there was something missing. I'm reaching for somebody in the Holy Ghost today to tell you that you're not gonna find it on your job. You're not gonna find it in a new title. You're not gonna find it in money. You're not going to find it in this. You're not going to find it in that. You're not going to find it in the bottom of a glass. You're not going to find it in a drug. You're not going to find it anywhere but at the foot of a cross. When we die out to ourselves and we're buried in his name in baptism and our sins are washed away and we allow that vessel to be filled with his spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Evidence is Brother Rayleigh again said this morning by speaking in other tongues. Thank you, Lord for the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That is why Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Another word for that word filled is they shall be satisfied. When Jesus uses the words hunger and thirst, he is using them in the most real context we can imagine. Most of us have a very hard time identifying with the reality of this phrase because we've never really experienced true hunger or true thirst. Jesus was speaking about hunger and thirst in the realm of starvation, intense hunger. Generally, when we say we're hungry, we just mean we're between breakfast and lunch. We're just between meals, between snacks, but that's not the hunger that Jesus is talking about. He spoke about a hunger that couldn't be satisfied with a snack. He talked about a thirst that couldn't be quenched with just a sip of water. He was speaking to people that were in desperate and dire circumstances like those that were suffering in a famine. I would suppose that a starving person only has one desire. Amen. Nothing else is important. Not even anything else has the slightest appeal. I just must 
be fed. I must be nourished. I'm not trying to repeat all of you men this morning, but I will tell you that we shouldn't come here just to be filled. I wholly concur. We need the Bible. David said we ought to enter in with thanksgiving. We ought to enter in with rejoicing. We ought to enter in. Yes, we do need to come here and be fed. And yes, we do need to be refreshed. But I don't want every time I walk through the door to just barely be staggering to a pew. I want to come in and have a praise that I can offer unto God. I want to come in and have a, a spirit of worship that is pure and it flows from my heart because it flows from a fountain of spiritual satisfaction. Amen. It could be that Jesus is saying until we come to the place where we have a single-mindedness in our passion for God that we will never experience true satisfaction. I've got to be singularly focused on what God would have me to do. The book of Isaiah 55 and 2, God asked this question, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and labor and your labor for that which is satisfied not? We have to come to the place where we're just hungry for God. Hungry for God. Passionate about that. Nothing less than passion about being in the presence of God. You know, I read something some time back I thought was quite interesting. It was just an interesting take on an old story. The writer said, when the prodigal son was hungry, he turned to the husks that was in the pens with the pigs. But when he started starving, he turned back to his father's house. When he was just hungry, he said, I'll go here and I'll dine on the husk that the hogs or the pigs are eating. But there come a time that wasn't enough that hunger became starvation. And when hunger became starvation, it was there that he said, you know, even the servants in my father's house have, have it better than I have it here. And I gotta start turning myself back toward the father's house. I wonder today if there could be a spiritual famine, amen, a spiritual hunger, a spiritual, if I may say, starvation that would touch our life. Amen, let it touch our lives on Tuesday. That way when Wednesday gets here, we're saying, you know what? I gotta get to the house of God. I got to get to the house of bread. I want to get there. I want to dine when it comes Saturday. Amen. I pray, Lord, there's not just some faint, slight hunger pains that could be quieted with reading a memory verse. I hope there's not just a twinge of something in my mind that could be quieted with listening to a song or a sermon on the internet, but there's a famine in our spirit that says, you know, I don't know if 10 o'clock is going to get here. I don't know if it'll get here soon enough. I got to get to the house of God because there's a famine in my spirit. There's a famine in my spirit. Amen. More than one time, more than one time, I've had new converts ask me, why do we wait till 10 o'clock to start our service? I'm being very serious. I've had more than one new convert ask me that. Why do we wait till 10? I always just tell them, I you ask them. I'm not brave enough. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing. Why do we wait to 10? We keep doing this long enough and people are saying, why are we already starting? 
because we're, I'm meddling. That's what I'm doing. Amen. But sometimes if we're not careful, that famine is not there. And if we want it, we'll take it. If we don't, we sit it out. Oh, my, my, Lord, help us today. Amen. You know, in our home, I'm sure much like many homes in our church family and around the world, we're trying to decide what we want to eat. And we mentioned this, no, we mentioned that, no. We mentioned that. So you know what we ought to do is just get up and go to bed because obviously we're not hungry. If you just keep vetoing everything, if you keep voting everything down, then we're not hungry. And when we come to the church and we say, well, I'm not gonna worship on that song because I don't like it, it ain't fast enough or this one's too slow or I didn't like that speaker, I don't like this, I'm not gonna go there because I wanna find out who's singing. Wanna... If we're doing all that, we're not hungry. But if we're hungry, it won't matter. The only thing we're gonna be worried about is make sure the doors are unlocked when I get there. The only thing I need to do, it don't matter if the air's on or off, heat's on or off, if the lights are on or off, I just gotta get, make sure the door is unlocked where I can get into the house of bread. I wanna make sure that I am in the house of bread. I wanna make sure that I'm in the house of bread. Praise God. Praise God. I suppose many things can bring us to the place of passionate hunger for the Lord. A true realization perhaps of our own sinful condition, that can bring us to a place of hunger for God. Or when we are going through a season of suffering, oh yes, that can create a passion and a hunger for God like never before. When tragic events come elbowing their way into our lives unannounced, oh, that can create a hunger like never before. Whatever the means God uses, can I tell you that he desires to bring us to a place that we come to the end of ourselves and and that's where we must be before we really discover the power of true hunger. When we think about physical, literal hunger, it's God's way of reminding us you've got to take something in or this body is going to wither away. Coming to the end of ourselves places us in a place or a, 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 spirit, a, a, a position of desperation. And in our desperation, we have often exhausted all of the possibilities and many times we turn to God as our hope. There are many things that can hinder us from really and truly finding or discovering this place in God and one of those things is our mistaken idea of our own self-sufficiency. I have this. I've got this. Many people have wrongly believed that they needed nothing else outside of themselves to be happy. But I want to tell you, we should never trust our own self-sufficiency because it can let you down every time. Other people are blinded or other hindered by the blindness of their own spiritual condition. They do not see themselves as they really are, thinking that somehow they're going to be good enough. They will go on their way, never giving God another thought because it's difficult to see yourself as you really are. Anybody here ever been shocked by a picture of yourself? Someone took some pictures of our conference yesterday and posted them online. I'm sitting there looking and trying to, I'm trying to figure out who the gray-headed man is on the platform. <laughs> we can deceive ourselves into thinking, I don't have to deal with this. It's okay. 
sin separates. When we allow sin in our lives and we develop this impenetrable shell around us, that's what sin, sin separates and it creates a shell. And I'm gonna tell you, there's not a singer of their, on their own power that can sing it through and there's not a speaker that can speak it through. It takes the anointing of God to destroy the yoke. Yes, it does. Amen. I want to ask our musicians to come, if you will. I, I'm, I'm amazed to see people. Let me, let me back up and say this. I, I do think it is a tragic thing to see people who really don't know God reject his wooing. It's a sad thing when you see people that really don't have an understanding of God, but you know you can tell the Spirit of God is dealing with them, maybe people in any given service, and yet they walk away. That's always a tragic thing. But, but I, I am beyond words when I see people who have tasted of his goodness do the same thing. People who have once dined with him and yet unmoved, untouched, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, the Bible says, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Face to face, and we know the scripture says no man can see God face to face and live, but there's this, there's this implication of scripture that there is a closeness of relationship. And so Moses sees him face to face and you know that, that would for some perhaps they would just ring the bell and say oh what a wonderful thing and, and they write that kind of down in their history and what a wonderful day but that's Exodus 33 and 11 and just two verses later in 13 the Bible says now therefore I pray thee if I have found grace in thy sight this is Moses talking to God if I found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. I don't want to just see you. I want to know you. Oh, man. We have all, we have all had moments of being able to see people. But we don't know everybody we have the privilege to see. Moses said, I don't, want to just, I don't want to just see you. I want to know you that I may find grace in thy sight. Moses had a hunger for God and, and for his righteousness. And his, he said, I just got to know you. I want to know everything there is to know about you. Philippians 3 and 10, that, you know, Paul echoes seemingly the same sentiments of Moses when he said that I may know him, my this is the man who says this after he has this incredible experience on the road to Damascus. But I still need to know you. I need to know you. So both Paul and Moses seems like they, they have met the Lord in a significant way, but they understood something. I've got to have him to go with me. I'll ask you to stand if you will. Exodus thirty three fifteen is a passage of scripture that I've referred to a lot through the years and not only here, but other places. But this is how intent, intense Moses was about the Spirit of God. He said, if thy presence go not with us, then do not lead us up 
from here. If you're not going with us, then please don't lead us out. I don't want to just see you. I want to know you. And I want to be with you. Spiritual satisfaction. Moses understood clearly the source of his strength. And so when I read about passionate responses from people like this who have tasted the goodness of the Lord and they say, you know what, I've tasted that and you know what that makes? It makes me want to get closer. It makes me want to draw nearer. It makes me want to press in harder. Paul speaks of pressing, leaning, pushing, focused. Moses is underlining how much more we got to do. I need to get closer to you. And I'm going to go back and say it again. Then, then it leaves us almost disillusioned with those who have tasted the goodness of the Lord. And yet they can stay at arm's length from him and, and have very little passion for God. It's easy to lose your spiritual passion. It's easy to let things come in. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's easy for all of us to let other things come in and just take the place of something that should be first place. Revelation 2 and 24, the Bible says, nevertheless, or two and, uh, Revelation 2 and 4, I'm sorry. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. I remember many years ago, I was referring to that passage of scripture and I misquoted that passage and I said that they had lost their first love. There's an elderly, sweet, sweet elderly lady in that service that came to me after service and very humbly she said, I, I want to show you something. She opened her Bible and she said, it doesn't say they lost their first love. It says they left their first love. She wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but I will never forget that because they didn't lose it. That seems arbitrary. That seems very accidental. But when you leave something, you put thought into that. That's what she was trying to say. When you leave something, you intentionally create a distance. You got in the car. You backed out of the drive. You drove away. Oh, Jesus I have somewhat against thee because you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do thy first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. My Lord, I'm gonna tell you if God has ever passed over a, a people with mercy, he is passing over us today. He is passing over us today. Amen. Lord, let us not, let us not, leave our first love let us oh God not let something else come in here and take the place of it amen let's worship the Lord please don't pre-dismiss yourself in your mind and heart let's magnify him together this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church we pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, 
please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.